Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Tonight, I, I want to, I was just really thinking about how do I, what, what do I say coming back? Uh, for those of you who are maybe new, maybe this is your first time here. Uh, my name is Slavik. I used to lead this youth ministry for the last seven years or so. Um, and then now it's, I'm transitioning to the Bellevue campus. And, and I was just really thinking about, God, what do, what do I bring back? What's this one message that I can give you tonight that maybe can summarize things in one, in, in one thing? And I remember uh, someone asked C.S. Lewis, if you were to describe Christianity in one word, what would it be? And he says, well, that's easy. Grace. If you were to summarize Christianity in one word, the word would be grace. Now, I know a lot of us, we say, we preach about grace, but I don't think we understand the full scope of what grace is. And that's what I want to talk on tonight and, and give you some illustrations and to see that grace is sort of the, kind of like the topic of the entire Bible. The, the Bible itself is a book that tells a story of a divine romance between God and people, between human beings and, and the divine. Yeah. So, so I was really thinking about this. How do I explain this? Because I know that most of you, you, know, you grew up in a, in a Christian family, and you know that Jesus died for you, and Jesus loves you. You know, I know that Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me, you know, like, we, we, we grew up with that. But I know at the same time, there's areas of your life that perhaps you still don't have control over. I know that there's people here, and right now, the Holy Spirit is already bringing it to your mind. Maybe it's an addiction that you just can't seem to shake off. Or maybe you know that there's joy in the Lord. Maybe you know that in Jesus, I have to be happy and I have to be joyous, but there's always depression around the corner. Every single time, you're just kind of like, it's just there. I can't really seem to get rid of it. I want to quote um, some modern philosophers um, called U2. It's actually a band, but... Uh, and they, they, they wrote this song that says this, that I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And they say this things in, um, they, they say these lines, I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one, but yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and loose the chains, carry the cross of my shame, of my shame. You know, I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And you thought, you too is just not a Christian band, huh? But what he's saying here is that God, Jesus, I know that you pay the price for my sin. You broke the chains of depression. You break, but I'm still like, there's this quest that I have. And, and it's just like, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So I'm not sure how you came in. And what area in your life is this, this one thing? Maybe, maybe it's one area of sin that you just can't seem to shake off. You know there's freedom at the cross, but you can't seem to deal with it. You know that maybe you have a disease or a sickness that just doesn't seem to go away. The best way I can illustrate this is I, I went tubing and 
the guy who was, you know how tubing works, right? Like the guy is driving the boat, but there was some slack in the rope. And when he pulled me, he really pulled me and it actually pulled my wrist. And for years, I could not really use my, my wrist. And I was just like, man, am I going to have to live with this for the rest of my life? Like it would just not go away. And I tried to wrap it and, and it just, it would just not go away. So what do you do when you have something like that? What do you do when you know there's freedom in Jesus, but you don't seem to see it in your own life? What do you do when, when you know there's healing in Jesus, but you, you don't seem to, to get that healing? You know there's deliverance in Jesus, but there's, you don't seem to have a break from nightmares. You don't seem to have a break from depression. You don't seem to have a break from you know, your childhood, maybe brokenness, or whatever you went through. What do you do in those moments? Well, I want to bring a story that I, I love to talk about a lot, and I want to go a little bit deeper into the story. Uh, if you have your Bibles, um, would you open to chap- um, chapter 9 in 2 Samuel? It's a story that I think shows grace. I don't think there's a better way to show grace like this in the Old Testament. It's probably one of my favorite stories. I, I mean, there's other stories I know for, for sure, but this one really stands out. And um, just to give you a little bit of a background, uh, this happens when David, King David, is in power already. And King David is, is at the height of his power, and he's sitting on his throne, and he's thinking about all the things that happened before, and all the things that he had put, put up with. And if you don't know, if you're not familiar with his account, if you're not familiar with what David had to go through, David was a kid who um, God anointed as a king when he was very young, maybe 12, 13 years old. But while he got anointed as king, actually there was another king in power. His name was Saul, and that was the first king that Israel had. And Saul had a, had a son. His, his son's name was Jonathan. And it just so happens that David is anointed king because Saul did something that he wasn't supposed to, and God ripped away, or kind of stripped Saul from his kingdom. And God said, I rejected you as king, and I'm going to anoint somebody else. So obviously Saul is paranoid. He's just like, man, I, I don't want to deal with this. Like, who is this new king, right? He doesn't really know that David is the new king that's supposed to rise up. So he actually has, you know, he, he, he has David sing for him because David apparently is really good at playing the harp. So for those of you guys who are worshiping, you guys are doing an amazing job. Um, just keep that. That will open a lot of doors. So I don't know how you play the harp. I mean, you probably, yeah, or whatever, doesn't matter. Um, he, so, so David is playing an instrument, and King Saul brings him into the house. And while, he's in, in, while David is in the, his kingdom, he befriends Jonathan. Now, think about this. Jonathan is a prince. So if, if Saul were to die, Jonathan would take his place. Jonathan is the next king in line. But Jonathan knows something. Jonathan knows that it's actually David who's supposed to be king. And he says that Jonathan and David, they, be, they became really good friends. And the Bible has a really weird way of saying that. And the Bible says that the love between David and Jonathan was so intense, it was even better than a love between a man and a woman. And I'm like, that sounds so wrong. Uh, 
But the idea, what the Bible is, is saying here is they didn't love each other with sort of like a friendship kind of love. They loved each other with an agape kind of love. They loved each other unconditionally. So think about this. What if your dad is the CEO of a company and you know you're supposed to lead the company the next day, I mean the next year or the next few years, and this guy comes from the streets and he's in, he comes into your house and then you find out that he's actually going to take over your dad's company. That would not really, I don't think that would be a really good idea. Like, I don't think anybody would want to be like, oh, okay, so that's, so I'm guessing like my dad is just going to give you everything. But see, Jonathan was a man of God. And he knew that this is God ordaining this. It's not him. So Jonathan comes up to David and says, David, I know that God anointed you as king. But can we make a covenant? And that's what I want to spend a lot of time on, on talking about t- tonight. I don't know if you guys know what a covenant is, but a covenant is kind of like a contract, but way better. Think of people getting married. For example, Ida and Dave, they, when they got married, they didn't just make a contract. They made a covenant. And a covenant is not just you sign your name on the dotted line, right? A covenant saying, hey, I vow until death do us part, right, that I'm going to be committed to you. And even after death, I'm going to wait for you, (laughs) right? So covenant goes way above a contract. So Jonathan says, David, I know that you are anointed king. I know that you are supposed to be king, but my dad, I just want to tell you this straight up, my dad is, is looking to kill you. He found out that supposedly you're, you're supposed to be the next king. And he says, my dad is, a, is out to kill you. He's out for blood. But David, when you are in power, when you are a king, would you promise me? Would you promise me that you will show grace, show kindness, show love to my house? Now, why would he say that? You know why he would say that is because he was the custom of the day that any time a king would take over somebody else's like kingdom, he would destroy the previous family, all the people, like all the people in that family, he would destroy them. He would just kill them. Why? Because they understood that if anybody's left from the house of Saul, then they might rise up and say, hey, David, by the way, the kingdom belongs to us. So to kind of squash rebellion, they would kill everyone from that kingdom, from the previous kingdom. So Jonathan talks to David and says, when you become king, could you remember this? Could you remember this covenant? I vow to you that as long as I'm alive, I'm going to tell you my dad's kind of like plans so you're not getting killed. But at the same time, would you, would you be kind to me when you are in your power, when you're king? Would you remember me? So in Samuel chapter 9, I mean, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, it says this, One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So David is in his power, his, you know, the trade. Actually, it says that they, they expanded their kind of like their land by 10 times. So David has a lot of money. He has a lot of You know, he conquered a lot, and he's just sitting on his throne. And he remembers the covenant 
that he made with Jonathan. Now, what happened in this time is Jonathan and Saul, before David became king, uh, be, between, between the time that they became, um, between the time they made a covenant and this time, uh, Jonathan and Saul went to war and they both got killed. And now David <laughs> is in power. So that's how we come to this passage says, uh, one day David asked, is anyone of Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. So David asks this servant, says, hey, do you know anybody else that is left from the house of Saul? He says, yeah, well, actually there is a kid, but he is crippled. Because what happened there was when David became in power when they heard that Jonathan is killed, Saul is killed, and now Je- uh, uh, David is, is, is king, they fled. So everyone of, house, uh, of, of Saul, Saul's family, they fled. And Jonathan's son, his name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is five years old at this time. And as they're running, the, the, the caretaker of this kid drops this kid and he becomes crippled. So Mephibosheth is pretty much lame in both feet. He can't walk. So when David talks about this, now Mephibosheth is a bit older now. He says, is anybody left? He says, well, yeah, there is a guy. His name is Mephibosheth, which is actually Jonathan's sons. But king, he's, he's lame in both feet. And the king asked, where is he? In Lodabar. Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Maniel. So David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus already shows up really quick on this story now. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. So put this in perspective. This guy is living his life. He thinks, okay, well, nobody knows that I'm alive. When we ran away, he lives in Lodibar, and Lodibar is the ghetto of today. He lives in the place of desolation. There's, you know, he literally is trying to kind of get day by day. He's just trying to like survive. I don't know if he has food. I don't know in what condition he lives in, but he lives in the ghetto. Okay? And the whole time he's thinking, I hope the king doesn't find out that I'm, I'm still alive. Because if he finds out that I'm dead, if he finds out, and then one day he hears the chariots of the king. And he says, I'm dead. I'm done. The king sent after me. 
So the chariot show, uh, shows up in, and says, are you, are you Mephibosheth? And Mephibosheth is thinking, okay, well, they killed everyone else. I'm dead. They pick him up and they bring him to David and they put him before David. And David looks at him and says, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. Now this story, you might think, okay, well, this is this Old Testament. But I think it relates to us a lot. Because you see, every single time in your life, you have an area of your life that is, is lame. Something that is, doesn't work. It's crippled. If it's a sin, it, it makes you almost kind of make a vow and think, well, that's just, that's just what I'm going to be. I'm broke. I'm sinful. And apparently that's where I'm going to spend my whole life. I want to tell you this, this tonight. I want to tell you, be really careful when you make those kind of vows. Do not agree with the enemy. The enemy will come up to you and say, you are horrible. Nobody wants you. Think about this. And if, if the king were to find out, you're going to be dead. Like my whole life growing up, I had this idea that God is just waiting to pounce on me. I, I, I thought that one day that, you know, if I just mess up strong enough, that God is just going to, He's going to kill me. All the while, I didn't really understand that God is a good God. God loves you and me. God cares about you and me. Now, here's the thing. You know, you can go ahead and start agreeing with this. You can say, well, I'm always going to be addicted. I'm always going to be sick. I'm always going to be depressed. You know, you might not even say that out loud, but you might start to make agreements and vows. I want to tell you that you no longer have to walk on that. Now, you, I understand that you already know that. You know how you know that? It's because when you look at Mephibosheth, when even he was five years old, he remembered that back in the day, he used to sit. Because you see, the king was his grand, granddad or grandpa. And Jonathan was the prince, and his dad was the prince, and he, he was in the royal family. So Mephibosheth remembers, because at five years old, you remember things, okay? I remember things when I was four years old. So he remembers that about some years ago, I used to sit at the table, the royal ta- table. I used to sit with my grandpa, who was the king. I used to sit with my dad, who was, pr- who was the prince of, of the palace, and everything was great. And the thing is, when it comes to us, there's this thing inside of us that tells us, hey, you know what? This, this is not how we're supposed to be. If you're depressed, you know that you're not supposed to be depressed. If you are sinning, you know you're not supposed to be sinning. If you are sick, you know you're not supposed to be sick. And where, where do you get that? Where do we get this desire that things ought to be better? Where do you get this desire that things are wrong and they should be better? You know where you get that desire? In Genesis. It says that God created you in his image. God created you to sit with him at his table. God created you in Genesis, I think it's um, Genesis 3, I'm, I'm sorry, Genesis 1.27 says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, so God created you in his image, and then he also created you to have a relationship with him and to have a relationship with other people. And what happens is you're always looking back to that thing. It says that God would walk with Adam in the middle of the garden. 
and he would, he would walk with him and just imagine like if you had the chance and opportunity to talk to God at 12 a.m., I mean, or 12 p.m. every single day. You know, just an hour stroll through the park and talk to God, your creator. So I think we have this thing in us that says, this is not, this is wrong. This is not how it's supposed to be because he put that desire in our hearts. Look at this. Uh, I think this is um, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He says, yeah, God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the heart of every single person, in the heart of men. God created you to have a relationship with him. And every single time you sin, you automatically feel that conscience, guilt. You, you feel that conviction. This is, not, this is not how it's supposed to be. Every single time you sin, I mean, every single time you're sick, you know that God created you in his image and you, your body should not be dealing with this. This is where we get that, that. Just like Mephibosheth had this idea that, hey, five years old, I was in the palace. I, at some point... I belong in that palace. But because of what happened, because my, you know, because of that death of my grandpa and Jonathan, now I live in a desolate place. Because of what Adam and Eve has done, it says that the Bible says that you, you are born in sin. You are born in sinful nature. You are born in sinful nature and you're, you're dealing with the consequences. The Bible says that the creation the world suffers and groans underneath the weight of sin and the curse of sin. And just tonight, I was reading the news right before this. I don't know if you know, but there was an attack on Syria. And I was just like sitting there, I'm thinking like, Lord, I am so thankful that we live in this, such an amazing country. But imagine those people that, I mean, they're not better than us. We're, they're not worse than us. We're not better than them. And they have to deal with this every single day. When I look at what's happening in Africa, when I, when I look at what's happening, don't, don't you just look at this and you're like, man, I, I'm just so done with this brokenness. I'm tired of this. We have a desire that things have to be better. Things have to be put to right. Things have to change. So, so maybe Satan can tell you that, well, you'll just always be like that. But I, I don't know about you guys, but I refuse to live that way. I refuse to think of God as my enemy because that's what, that's what Satan wants you to think. You see, Mephibosheth lived in this desolate place and the whole time he thought that David hates him. He thought that the current king is, is just a matter of time when D- David's going to come and, and just destroy him. And that's what, kind of my, the idea that I grew up with. I grew up with the idea that somehow God is just out to destroy me. God is just out to, to kind of just get me. That's what Satan might tell you. But I want to tell you that that's, not, that's just not true. And no matter how many times you sin, no, man, no matter how many times you fall, fall, uh, fall short of his glory, there's, there's a hope to come back to Christ. There are, there's a hope to be restored. There's a hope, uh, there's a hope to be changed, transformed. So... so David sends for him, and this is, if you're taking notes, this is the first thing that I want to tell you this, this night is, is that even though you might think that God hates you, God is going to send for you. 
He's going to send me. He's going to send your leaders, your block leader, and say, hey, you no longer have to deal with this. You no longer have to live in this place of desolation. You no longer have to deal with this depression. There's hope in Jesus. God's going to send your parents. God is going to send people to, because to, you can no longer, I mean, there, there's, there's so many t- times, right, like where you can no longer carry yourself in God's presence. Uh, have you ever prayed and you feel like your prayer doesn't go above the ceiling? And you feel like, I don't know how to go forward. I, I feel like giving up. Well, God's going to send after you. He's going to send people in your life that will speak the truth. He will send for you a delegation to pick you up and bring you into his presence. And that's what we see happening here with Mephibosheth. The, 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 uh, King David sends a delegation and brings him into his presence. Now, Mephibosheth is kind of confused, right? Like, wait, wait a second. And for me, like, growing up, like, the one thing I didn't want to do is go to church when there's prophets there. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, because you knew that, like, what if they say something what if they kind of expose me for my sin? You know, and like a lot of times, you know, I heard some prophecies and I'm like, I don't know, I don't want that to be said out loud of me, right? So, so every single time like I would come to church, I'd be so scared because what if God just exposes me, right? Like what if God just kind of starts, you know, and people start making fun of me and I didn't want to be even more, more hurt than I already was and I tried to avoid that. And for the longest time, like you might think the same thing. You might not attend church, you might not go to block, because the moment people get close to you, you put shields of defense, right? Like you put like, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't feel very close. Like I don't, I don't think you should be this close to me. Have you ever hugged someone and they're like stiff? And you're like, ugh, <laughs> right? Like, or have you ever like tried to talk to someone about something that's deep and then they, they just shut, sh- shut off automatically? Like I'm not comfortable talking about that. I'm done, no. I'm, we're not talking about this right now. Because you see, Mephibosheth, he was dropped when he, he, was, he had this traumatic experience. And his life wasn't any better. And his whole life, he is going through just brokenness. And he's finally brought before the king. Like, why would the king even ever want to deal with me? Like, why would the, uh, why the king would even care about me? They bring him, they put him right before King David, and King David looks at him and says, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. So the first thing I want to tell you is that Jesus is going to come after you. He's, he's going to send people after you, because you see, Jesus works through people. He's going to send people that, that will love you, and you will see his love through people. Ida just talked about like loving people. Well, God is going to empower others to go after the broken. Jesus is going to come after you. And then he's going to bring you in God's presence. And when he brings you in God's presence, he will tell you this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, not because you're good, because none of us are. None of us can stand in God's presence alone. None of us can come in his presence and still live after that. But you see, you come into his presence because of what? Because of the covenant that David had with Jonathan. So what I, what I mean to say is, Mephibosheth came into David's presence because of the love and covenant that Jonathan had with David. And you come in God's presence because of the love of the Father to his Son, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for your sin. And he himself, he offered himself for your sin. 
A lot of people tell me this, like, Slavik, you know, I would preach, man, I would do all these things, but I really don't feel comfortable because what would, I'm still dealing with all these things. I'm still sinful myself. And I'm like, bro, do you think that I'm not dealing with sin myself? I'm dealing with sin constantly. But how do I go and still preach? You know why? Because I don't preach myself. We preach Christ, Christ who, who died and was resurrected. And I'm not up here telling you, hey, guys, let me tell you how I figure out life. Uh, you just got to have to do exactly what I'm going to tell you, my 15-step program. Because if you follow my 15-step program, maybe the 16, but, like, but if you follow my 15-step program, you're going to become like me, perfect in all things. That's not what we preach. We preach, hey, here's where we found hope. Let me bring you into where I found hope and restoration. Let me bring you where I found healing and transformation. Let me bring you into his presence. This is where hope is at. We are not preaching ourselves. We preach Christ and what he's done on the cross. We have not won the victories. It was Jesus who's won those victories. We, because of the covenant that God has with Jesus, we can step into God's presence. Because of the love of Jonathan and David, Mephibosheth could be in David's presence. So Jesus will send after you, and when he brings you into God's presence, he will tell you, don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness. You know what he says next? He says that, he says, I want to restore to you everything that was taken from you. Isn't that an amazing thing? He says, everything that belonged to your father, Jonathan, I'm going to give it back to you. I want, and the servants, Ziba, so Ziba is a servant and he has kids, right? So because he's a servant, everyone in his household is also a servant. He says, Ziba, I'm going to give Ziba as your servant and everyone in his household will serve you. And by the way, from now on, I want you to eat at my table. What a beautiful picture that we see here of David showing the kind of grace that Jesus gave us. Jesus is going to say, you know all those years that you've lost to porn addiction? I'm going to redeem that. All those things that you've lost in depression, I'm going to transform you. All the, 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 the hate that you had towards yourself, you know, I'm going to restore that. And that's going to turn, you, you learn how to love not only yourself, but people around you. And by the way, the things that the enemy has stolen from you, like your brother, your relationship with your family, I'm going to restore that. I think one of the greatest things that gives me hope to do what we do is to, pe- to see people's lives restored. That's, there's no greater paycheck than to see someone's lives being transformed. Jesus will send after you regardless of what shape you're in. He's not, he's not taken back by your dysfunction. You know, because a lot of times we, we look and like, well, but can God even, like, yeah, but nobody knows what I'm dealing with. Nobody knows the problems in my life. So we think that, that somehow we're a helpless cause, right? Like somehow there's no way for us to be. And it's weird because if Jesus can save murderers, do you think your sin, unless you killed someone, I hope not, <laughs> right? Like 
if he can restore murderers, he can take care of your problem. There's nothing you can say that he'd be like, yeah, I haven't, done with that. I haven't dealt with that lately. He knows your problem already. He's not taken back by your dysfunction. So Jesus is going to send for you. He's going to bring you into God's presence. He's going to tell you, don't be afraid. And then he's going to restore everything back to you, what was taken from you. And you know the next thing that's going to happen? next thing that's going to happen is this, is that you're going to be at his table. Now, the very wrong thing for Mephibosheth to, to do is to sit at his table. And when somebody else new comes in, he'd be like, who does he think he is? Like, why is he here? Do you think that Mephibosheth would have that attitude towards someone? No, in the back of the mind, he knows that what kind of mud, what kind of place David pulled him from. And even though he's still lame, David still chooses to have a relationship with him. So the, the right attitude of Mephibosheth is to say, hey, how can I bring more people to the king's table? How can I reach to other people? When God is going to come and transform your life, maybe you came to a small group or you came on Friday night and you came to the altar and God transforms you. You know, like the very wrong thing you could do is to go around saying, well, I know her and what she's done. I know him and he doesn't belong here. Remember the mud that Christ has pulled you from. A lot of times when people come up to me and they're like, man, Slavic, you know, you just don't understand. Like, it's so easy for you to say because you grew up in a Christian family and this and that. And I'm like, I look at them. I'm like, do you understand the, the place that God has pulled me from? It's not a good place. And every time somebody says, oh, that was a great sermon, or you did this good, or this, that, and that, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, but if you only knew, if you only knew my, my past, I'm like, thanks, and if there's anything really good in me, do you not think that that comes from the Lord? So Mephibosheth, you know, sits at his table. But here's what, what's interesting is, I, I would think because David is a king, right, he would have a way to make sure that he fixes Mephibosheth's feet. But we know that that's not the case. Mephibosheth never really walks on his own his whole life. Why would, why can't David just pay for surgery or something? I'm sure he had access to the best doctors. Why is it that Mephibosheth, like if, if you're at king's table, right? Why, why have this? It's kind of a weird thing. But imagine this, right? Like, you came to Jesus, but there's still an area of your life that just doesn't go away. Well, I want to tell you that you're not the only one. Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12. He says this, Even though I received such a wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was, giving, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take away, uh, to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast in my weakness so the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness 
in, in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles, and I suffer for Christ. For I, I am, when I am weak, I am strong. Kind of a weird passage, isn't it? It's a weird passage to come to Jesus. I thought that when I come to Jesus, my life will be perfect from now on. I thought that if I give my life to Jesus, then everything will be good. And we see Apostle Paul saying this, that look, actually, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, I don't really know what that thorn in my, his flesh was, but he says, three times I asked the Lord to take this away from me, and with no, no answer. And then God replied and said, my grace is sufficient. I'm going to go towards closing, but I'm going to ask you this. What's that one area of your life that you need to surrender? Because Jesus sent me here to tell you this, that no matter what area you're in, no matter what location you're in, there's room for you at the table. There's room for you to come and join. But at the table, there's also a possibility the certain things in your life will still not be perfect. Jesus himself said that if they persecuted me, do you think they're going to deal really good with you? Jesus comes in, and I want to tell you this, that he cares more about your character than about your comfort. Because you see, Apostle Paul says that I've endured hardships and persecutions and insults. And if you're a follower after Jesus, there will still be times in your life when you are dealing with difficulties. When you're dealing with, with things that like, Lord, I thought I should be over by now. Lord, I'm, 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 I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Lord, I have the enemy constantly just causing havoc in my life. Lord, I'm trying really hard to come to the cross every single morning, but this is extremely difficult. There's this one area of my life that just can't seem to surrender. Come to the table. Because at the table, (laughs) you'll be understood. You'll be encouraged. And maybe some of you guys, you won't be able to come to the table. Maybe your friends will have to bring you. And maybe you have a friend that you know that they're lost. Maybe this is a time that you should pray for your friend and say, God, how do I bring him to your presence? And I, I, I kind of read through this whole story and I was like, man, this is such a good story. It shows God's grace. But then again, what is grace? You want to know what grace is? Let me explain it this way. There's three different things. There's justice, there's mercy, and there's grace. Justice says this, that, hey, you broke the law, you get the punishment. The best way I got it, someone described it to me is that if you got pulled over and you're speeding and you get a ticket, that would be just, that would be justice. You were speeding and, and, and you got what you deserve. Mercy is a step up. Imagine that cop coming to you or that police officer coming to you and saying, hey, listen, you broke the law, you're speeding, but I feel very grateful today. And 
It's Friday. So I'm going to let you go. So mercy is when you deserve punishment, but you're not given what you deserve. You're forgiven. Isn't that great? But you know what grace is? Grace is another step up. Grace says this. That police officer comes to you and says, hey, you're speeding, and it's Friday, and I'm going to forgive you. But not only that, I'm going to give you $600. Can you pull me over, please? I'd love that, actually. (laughs) That's what grace is. Jesus coming and saying, hey, because of your sin, all people deserve death. But I'm going to die on the cross so that my Father can have mercy on you, so you are forgiven. But not only that, I want you to spend eternity with me. I want you to go back to when you were five years old. Remember that when you were Mephibosheth? You remember when you were five years old and you sat at the royal table? I want to restore that back to you. Jesus saying, remember that one time? I created humanity to spend it in my presence, to create things together, to, to, to walk in the middle of the day. You remember that time when you had, when you, didn't have, you didn't have to deal with evil. You didn't have to deal with, with, with murder and hate and lying and rape and, and all these things. Not only do I want to restore that, but I want to show you what, I, what my goodness is really about. The Bible says that for those who put their trust in Jesus, no eyes has seen and no ear has heard what God has prepared for you. Isn't that good news? So grace goes us above and beyond what justice is, what mercy is. And then he also will do this. He will change you because I thought this story is over, but no, 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 it's not over. A few chapters later, in 2 Samuel 19.24, so about 10 t- chapters later, it says this, Now Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, came down from Jerusalem to meet the king. He had not cared for his feet, trimmed, trimmed his beard, or washed his clothes since the day the king left Jerusalem. Why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? The king asked. What's happening here is David, after he was in power, his son rebelled against David. You remember Absalom? And drove David out of Jerusalem. And as he drove him out of Jerusalem, everyone just kind of went with the king. But Mephibosheth, because he was laming his feet, he was left behind. So David says, I can't believe this. Mephibosheth is sitting at my table. But then this happens when Absalom chases David out of the city and then Absalom gets killed and the king comes back in the city and then he sees Mephibosheth riding towards him on a donkey. And David's like, I took you in. I loved on you. You were sitting on my table. What happened? Why didn't you come with me? So obviously David is kind of feels a bit, bit betrayed here. What happened to you? I thought, I thought you 
What happened? Look at this. Mephibosheth replied, My lord, the king, my servant Ziba deceived me. I told him, Saddle my donkey so I can go with the king. For as you know, I am crippled. Ziba has slandered me by saying that I refuse to come. But I know that my lord, the king, is like an angel of God. So do what you think is best. All my relatives and I could expect only death from you, my lord. But instead, you've honored me by allowing me to eat at your table. What more can I ask? So Mephibosheth says, King, I tried. I tried to leave. I tried to go with you. But my servant kind of took off before, and you know that I'm crippled. I couldn't even get on, on, on the donkey to actually run. So I was left behind, and you can see me, like he says, he, he never washed himself, and he's just in the worst shape of his life. He says, but if you don't believe me, that's okay. Do with me as you please, because I deserve death. But you took me in. There was a season where I st- stood at your table, and I'm just thankful for that. So it's kind of like, David's just like, do I believe Ziba or do I believe Mephibosheth? So he's kind of conflicted. So if David says this, he says, you've said enough, David replied. I've decided that you and Ziba will divide your land equally between you. So Ziba goes from being his servant to now David saying, hey, I'm not sure who to believe. David is playing a test here. So I don't really know who to believe. So you know what? You know what, Mephibosheth? I'm just going to take half of the stuff you have. Imagine like if you won't own a house, like four cars or two cars, right? Like I'm going to take half of what you, what you got through me and I'm going to give half of it away. It's kind of an odd thing, don't you think? But this is the golden line right here. It says this. This is how Mephibosheth replies. I want you to listen. If you did not get anything out of the sermon, just listen to this line right here. Please. He says, give it all to him. Mephibosheth said, I am content just to have you safely back, my lord, O king. So David's kind of playing a test here. He's like, okay, well, if he really cares about me and he wanted to go with me, how about... How would he react if I take half of his kingdom away? Half of the stuff he... he... You know how Mephibosheth replies? King, you can give everything to him. I don't care. I'm just glad you're back. This is what I'm trying to tell you. When you encounter the grace of Jesus, he will change you. And you'll go from, I want to go to Jesus to change my life and have a great life to saying, God, I just want to have fellowship with you. And even if I don't get any prayers answered, just don't take away your spirit from me. Don't take away your presence from me. God, even if I go through the valley of the shadows, even if I don't have any car, even if I have to be like Apostle Paul and be beaten and insulted, I don't care any of that. What matters to me is I want to spend my, the rest of my life in your presence that is what grace does. It changes you completely. You went from, I want Jesus to fix my life, to saying, I don't care what happens to me. I just want to be with my King and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
that is my message for you tonight. Grace changes things. When you are given a gift that you know you deserve death, but now he, he restores everything to you, he will change you. He'll transform you. And when you spend a lot of time at the king's table, you will get to know him. And there, you will find freedom from your troubles, from all your ailments and all that. And then you're going to discover your purpose to bring others to the table. And then you're going to leave a legacy of godliness. That is the mission of City Hill, for us to bring people into his presence, for them to experience grace, and for them to go and do the same. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.